big question everyone's trying to answer, what's cyclical and what's structural? This is The Markets. Hi, I'm Sam Grobart. Today, I'm joined by Ashok Varadan, co-head of global banking and markets here at Goldman Sachs. And we're going to be talking about interest rates and how that final push to a target rate might be a game of inches. Ashok, so great to have you join us today. Let's get right to it. Markets are still trying to figure out which way interest rates are going. Where do you see them headed? I think when you look at interest rates and you look at how much normalization has taken place over the course of the last two years, you've had 525 basis points of rate hikes. And that's a pretty dramatic thing. And so obviously that's a policy that's been undertaken in an attempt to bring inflation back down to 2%. They've made a lot of progress. Inflation has basically gone from 8% at this time last year to now tracking at about 3% currently with some contemporaneous readings which show us at like in the low twos at the margin. And so I think what the market is saying is, okay, that is somewhat cyclical as opposed to structural. We think that over the course of the next couple of years, when the Fed does ultimately succeed and bring inflation down into the twos, they'll be able to lower rates back to a more neutral long-term rate, which the market approximate as being somewhere around 3.5%. On the macro front, markets seem to be pricing in a, a soft landing or even maybe no landing at all. If that's the case, why do you think the yield curve is still so inverted? The yield curve is less inverted than it has been. So I'd say over the course of the last two months, as the market has basically taken down its probability of a recession. And again, Jan Hatzius, our chief economist, came out over the weekend and basically now puts odds at a recession to 15%, which is basically the long-run average. It's essentially statistically insignificant. So you've seen long-term yields come up. Long-term yields now are, again, they're still below the policy yield of five and a quarter to five and a half, but they've come up a fair bit. You know, the 10-year note trades at around four and a quarter percent, and that's that's the highest point that it's basically been in this cycle subsequent to normalization after the pandemic. And what I would say is it's inverted because people still feel on a long-run basis the policy rate is restrictive. We're in a restrictive place. And One way in which bond market participants think about that is if inflation even is in the threes. With the policy rate between five and a quarter and five and a half, you would say, you know, short-term real rates are around 2%. That's in the arena of being restrictive. And so people believe that will mean revert over time. Back to what I said before, you know, sort of a long-term neutral rate of call it three and a half percent. So therefore, that's what's driving the inversion. Let's talk a little bit more about those rates. Rising rates are good for savers, obviously, but what does it mean for the corporate credit markets? We have a lot of refinancing on the horizon. Is the corporate bond market already priced for that? I'd say it depends. There are different parts of the corporate bond market. You obviously have, I'd say for the higher quality companies, call it the investment grade universe, I actually don't think these higher rates are that burdensome. I would say, one, there was a lot of fixing out that took place at lower yields, certainly during the pandemic. And when those policy yields got to 0% and long-term yields were at very low levels, we saw record amounts of issuance. So certainly corporations turned out their liabilities and are not as subject to the rise in floating rates that we've seen. And what I would say is the maturity walls, when you look at you know that constituency of issuers in the bond market, isn't something that causes alarm bells. In other words, I think when you look at 
debt service costs for these companies, it doesn't stand out to me that something, obviously it's more onerous, but it doesn't stand out to me as something that's burdensome. I think it's where you get down to the lower quality part of the credit constituency in which refinancings will come up and the combination of higher floating rates and higher borrowing spreads will lead to, obviously, debt service, which will be onerous. I think that will be a little bit more episodic in nature. And I think we will undoubtedly see realized defaults tick up. The question is how much and are there externalities associated with that? But my base case is that you'll see a rise in realized defaults, but they'll be somewhat isolated in nature. Alongside those public debt markets, we've seen tremendous growth in private credit. What does that mean for your business and for Goldman Sachs overall? I think it's a healthy development. I think certainly as it relates to the business of credit extension in this country, you wouldn't want that to necessarily be constrained to a handful of banks. Certainly one of the things when you look at what happened with regional banks, at the onset of the second quarter, and certainly the prospect for credit creation and credit extension from that community to be somewhat constrained on a go-forward basis, thank God for private credit as another supply channel in which society can access credit. I want to shift gears for a moment to a slightly more global view. Sure. Um, the U.S. economy, for all intents and purposes, is showing some good signs, but... Unbelievably uh, resilient is the way I would characterize <laughs> the U.S. economy. It has I, been yeah, pretty extraordinary. I would say shockingly resilient. Yeah. Meanwhile, economic growth in China and Europe looks a lot shakier. What do you think that means for the dollar and for currency markets? The dollar is a tricky one. I would say, obviously, what you're seeing recently in the near term is dollar strength. And that makes all the sense in the world, especially if you say, wow, our growth rates are hanging in there. We're growing at trend. Inflation is coming down. Real rates here are actually higher than they've been in a long time. If you look at basically the nominal curve and you subtract out market-based measures for break-even inflation, the real rate curve in the U.S. is at about 2%. And we've come through a, a decade plus after the global financial crisis and after the pandemic in which real rates were negative. U.S. fixed income relative to what it's offered you before on a real basis is quite attractive. And so that's accruing to the dollar. I'd say over the longer run, who knows? Because one of the things that's certainly happening is as our debt levels continue to grow. And so in the end, I think one of the things you don't want to be complacent, even though the U.S. is performing right now economically better than Europe and China, I think as a policymaker, you want to be careful about the amount of debt that you subsume, because that ultimately could end up being negative for the dollar on a go-forward basis, but I think that's tomorrow's problem. Today, the U.S. looks, in the near term, relatively attractive, and I think that's manifesting itself in currencies. Ashok, last question. What are you going to be paying attention to next week? I'd like to think, I think, with a little bit more of a longer time horizon than, than next week. But obviously, I think one of the things I, I want to pay a lot of attention to is what is the path of inflation going to be through, call it the fourth quarter? Mm -hmm. Are we going to continue to make progress on inflation and get down into the twos? Or are these last hundred basis points, are they going to be really hard yards? And in particular, are they going to be hard yards because the U.S. economy is growing at or above trend? And so it's one thing to go from eight to three because you have a lot of these supply side imbalances from the pandemic that ultimately and worked, out you know, and, worked right. its way out and all autos are being produced again. So and getting through canals. Ships and, are getting through yeah. canals and workers are getting back to hotels and all of that sort of stuff. So once you get past that, 
Now, if you sit here, call it at 3% inflation, what is it going to take to get to 2%? Is gravity just going to take care of that? Or do you need to do some unpopular things and things that may inflict some collateral damage in other places to get that last 100 basis points? I'd say that's what me and my colleagues, and by the way, our clients and investors are very focused on because you have two very different polarizing outcomes. If it happens by virtue of gravity, which is where the market is right now, that's great. You stay in your strategies and they should continue to work because the thing's on autopilot and should get to the destination that you want to go. If instead it's not going to get there and it's going to require draconian policy measures, then all of a sudden now you got to rethink and there's going to be some turbulence. And so that's really what I'm paying attention to. And it's not really a next week question. It's much more a Q4 question. Sounds good to me. Ashok, thank you so much. Thank you. That does it for another episode of The Markets. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sam Grobart. Thanks so much for listening. The opinions and views expressed in this program are not necessarily the opinions of Goldman Sachs or its affiliates. This program should not be copied or published without the express written consent of Goldman Sachs. Each brand mentioned in this program is the property of the company to which it relates and is not used to imply any ownership or license rights. Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice through this program. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this program. Our theme music was composed by Soundboard.